0: Welcome to The Blackout Show, presented by the Guillain Grader, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts.
1: The blackout show is back. Baseball is back. Pitchers and catchers and hitters and everybody's down in Arizona, down in Florida. Spring training has arrived. White Sox baseball. Get excited. I'm Slav Kobekovich, joined by Chris Gonzalez, Ozzy Jr. and Justin Lee. Uh, season two of the blackout show. Boys, how does it feel? You ready for some baseball?
2: Yes. Yes. No,
1: you're the only ones that are excited. No, I mean I mean
2: I'm we
0: suck again. Me. <laughs> Don't do this to me. Do I've been baseball activated for a while now. So I'm 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 already I'm mid season form already. I, I've been Junior, playing, you've been two, around the game for like a month straight. months, two months straight, got Ozzy Guillen back on the horse here in uh, Venezuela, won the league, won the Caribbean series, went Not on like idea, a, okay. think, went on a 39 and like 15 run. Damn. It was wild.
1: wild. Yeah, it was wild. That's it. That's pretty good.
3: No, no right, we'll get to it.
1: We'll, we'll get to more of that later in the show. Ozzy Jr. Um, you you've been watching the man, Ozzy Senior, in person, still doing it. And Ozzy's so so kind to join us live from Venezuela, down at the at the vacation home. You got Pop sending us ima- uh pictures, and videos down on the beach, and life is miserable, drinking coconut <laughs> water and rum. It must be it must be a tough life being again. Look, he's frozen. See, like, we we go 30 seconds into the show, and and Junior's already lost. Gonzo, what's going on in the West Coast?
3: It's amazing. It's freaking 730, and I saw spring training today. We saw, what, Dodgers, Padres, you know, going off today. You You saw a little bit bit more
2: Dodgers today. Yeah, a little
3: more Dodgers. Gonzo, did you watch that game? Just highlights.
2: Okay, I was going to say, you
1: are a true like fiend <laughs> for baseball if you actually watch that. Uh, what's up, Juan Diego? Joining us in the chat. Caleb, hello. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, we got a lot to get to. Uh, it's been a hot minute. I think our last episode was when we had Jake Berger, uh, who is now teammates once again with Tim Anderson, it seems. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, let's just start with uh, our early impressions of spring training. Um, tomorrow, I think, is the Cactus League debut friday already like we're here they just got there and they're they're going right out um so pitchers and catches reported last week uh hitters reported a few days ago everyone's in the best shape of their life everyone's motivated pedro grafone wants the team to play fast um what are what are your guys original i guess um reactions to what you've heard so far out of out of arizona out of camelback ranch Justin, I want to start with you because you literally texted us an hour ago saying how much you hate yourself
2: I for hate how much myself. you love this team. Like, I, I don't get upset at the White Sox for being losers. I get mad when they lose games, but uh, when I want to just isolate that quote from Pedro Grifoll, you want to play fast. At a certain point, we're going to have a lineup of Corey Lee, Mike Mustakis, young. Like, how much on the how much activity on the base paths are you really going to have? when you got 60% of your lineup in, in a traffic jam, it's gonna look like nineteen ninety four rush hour. So I don't know how he's gonna create some traction, but uh, at the end so of the day- So you're saying
1: we need more Billy Hamilton?
2: Uh, Lance Johnson, Tim Rainey. How,
1: how many, how, how, how deep are we in? We're like five minutes in and we got our first Billy Hamilton reference. So I'm, I'm, yep. I'm off to a hot start.
2: You're good. I'm glad that you're excited about the White Sox
1: is Billy Hamilton on the roster? I, I don't, I don't know. Come on,
2: dog. I'm Show kidding.
1: So, uh, fast. <laughs> it's a, it's a Pedro Graful, uh, cult, uh, acronym, not cult um, acronym, but just, you know, <laughs> something Pedro he's, Garfoulk he's, cult. um, it's, it's something he's, he's <laughs> preaching to the team. Fast stands for fearless, aggressive, selfless, and technically sound. Junior, I, I would love to I'm get sorry. your thoughts on, on acronyms and, and managers who come in trying to, Um, come up with, like, slogans and stuff?
0: You know what? The Y-Sides have been known for this. I guess it's no longer changed the game. Um, Where was this (laughs) acronym last year? You know, I think that it really sounds like something that someone would use in a Ponzi scheme, like, to to really sell an idea. Something that I would see in a business, something that I probably would have learned in my NBA, they would have given you a fast acronym on on something, you know, a a way to think about the game of baseball, trying to overcomplicate it. Um, and I guess it's a good selling point on words, and they have signs everywhere. Great! I hope Pantera gets it translated to him into to into and to Eloy. They should. Their acronym should be: Stay healthy, play better baseball. Keep it simple. Uh, this team on, on on paper, what Chris gets is trying to do, you know, get more athletic in the sense of like being able to play better baseball and what defensive. they did on there is. Defensively, it, it looks it looks like it's been better, but I'm I'm gonna say it, man. I'm tired of the BS and the beat writer keep sitting there and just looking at it and it's like it's BS. It's BS. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You can't listen to the audios from last year and then literally listen to the audios for this year and then say like why like and just compare them. And it's like it's BS and it's it's such BS that my brain literally stopped and it wouldn't even let me analyze the players. <laughs> because i know the players in there they're making fun of it they're like what like oh, what sure. is this and, and the guys that have been there before and and that in the spring training all you need to do is have a couple of dinners and lunches and, and you get guys talking that have been there talking to the newer guys and and you can smell bs and and right now what, there is no bs because i remember here last year when we had the show and everybody was saying that pedro wasn't you know the greatest manager of all time and he was going to kick everybody's butt and we had everybody tweeting in chicago like wow, they're doing all these different drills and I can feel the energy. It's so different. It's the same thing. First week of spring training, everybody loves each other. Everybody is, you know, big Kumbaya and everybody's doing great. You have to go out and play. So again, I hope that, I hope that that just, that, that marketing and that PR and that public relations type of aspect of getting to the game, I hope it stays there. And I really hope that they play better baseball and, and I, I've, I've been a person that has, has always said, you can lose the game the right way, meaning you're, you're losing to develop and, and you're losing to build a better franchise in the future. Because if you really don't see that in the first two, two months of the season, why keep them here? I'm being honest. Like you, everyone's not, and literally people are still timing Chris gets on, while well, you're the new GM, you've made some changes, but there's a big but, but you have still have this person as a manager. So. I'm still stuck on that. I I, I really thought that I was going to just jump in and focus on the players, but I can't when I listen to, to the stuff that he says on the air. And then you have people like Merkin, for example, like they sit there and they're bobbing their heads like, wow, I'm really listening to this. And I'm like, and I know these guys personally. I'm like, no one's calling this out. And yeah. again, this is one of the acronyms. Uh, my favorite one to before I get off the topic was everyone went crazy about them sliding into bases. Okay, wow, they're sliding into bases. I thought Eloy's sliding. And I was like, well, number one, I hope he doesn't get hurt. But everyone slides. Okay. Everyone's been sliding. There, there used to be a rule back in the day where you cannot start games until players would actually start sliding. That was like a, a check mark. And I asked Ozzy this to see if it was true. A check mark of are players like ready to go. You're only sliding if you're hitting doubles or you're breaking up double plays or it's that's something that you're like learning in Little League. It's like you go through the routine, but it's not that big of a deal. You don't yeah. win or win games because my team's a better sliding team than your team. OK, so I still go back to this. I still see guys in the roster that need to stay healthy and we need to see what they can produce in spring training. And there's a lot of moves on this roster that are going to be spring training is going to be telling. Uh, I feel bad for Oscar Colas. He's not even being mentioned where he was the future of this team in right field. You got Mike
1: Moustakas. They got signed. Now, what does that mean? For Gatton- we got to We got to go pull some receipts, Gonzo, this time last year, because I feel like there was some Colas promises. Oh, there is.
0: There, there, was, there was a lot of process. So that's my, I my can't, take. I, think I can't help you. Big,
1: <laughs> it's very big. It's it's big, big,
0: big, I'm big, sorry. Kumbaya. And, and it's been big Kumbaya. You know, you got right now, I feel like we got five Cy youngs and we got a bunch of guys that are going to be competing for the league MVP and the manager of the year. But I think that's every major league baseball team. So you got to ease into it uh, and, and then wait for that. But again, it's a big PR everybody talks. We all get good. We're going to improve. Their magic number for, for, for the over under is 65 games. You win sixty six. You're you're technically doing better. So, uh, Caleb's no, saying 66, under sixty five.
1: I mean, I'm taking the hard,
2: over.
0: I, I, I'm taking. You know what? I, I'm still debating. This. Me I'm and the guy, job. me, me and the
2: OGs, we're taking the over.
0: Sixty five is a very low number, uh, Jay. I don't even know how you guys realize. Like 60, 65 games is not high at all. Like this
1: is. Again, Look at the pitching staff. I just don't see it. Even if the offense clicks. I just have a heart. There's so much would have to go right for them not to lose a hundred games. That's the crazy part. Like Gonzo, you've set this imaginary over under at 78 for, for various reasons, but like real, like Gonzo, like be, be honest here. What do you like? What's the ceiling for this team to you? I'm going
3: to say about,
1: you don't even have to give a number. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I just, I'm just saying like, give me a ballpark. Like, what what makes this a successful season?
3: I think they're going to be between 69 and 72ish. Nice. Uh um,
1: That's
3: not bad. No, but the, the worst part is we have to go through another rebuild and watch another like revamp. But it's going to
1: happen anyway. There's no there's yeah. nothing that happens this season that doesn't result in another rebuild. Like I just don't see it.
3: And what I'm stuck here is just getting excited for whatever that core is that's going to be moving forward that Chris Getz is going to build off of. You know, I mean, I don't think Cease is going to be extended. So, like, my hope is, like, Nastrini, what's this kid going to do when he actually hits the big leagues? Um, is he going to be a part of that? We're not going to see, you know, a guy like Noah Schultz until another, you know, year or two. So, like, I don't know about him. Um, come back to the offensive side. I mean, I guess you could p- also put Jake Eater in there too, as far as pitching goes. But that's really about it. And then you're looking on it's the other side. It's all potential. It's all just it's all like eyes who might mean. be okay. And I'm waiting for is is Vaughn going to finally step up and have that, you know, that eye-opening year that we thought we would get out of him? I know we screwed up his development from the get-go, but like, you know, is Robert going to digress? Like, hey, I'm not gonna lie. Guys. Normally, so normally gone, we regress on to Justin
2: Fields territory right now.
3: No, stop it. We're not gonna go there. He might but... need to
2: creep
1: up on Josh Fields territory to be a little bit better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, did you
0: guys see the the article on on where are the prospects now from uh, from
1: 2018? And, and well, the, the one the, the White Sox had like seventeen of those top one hundred.
0: Yeah, but but I'm saying it's not just a
1: White Sox problem. It's it's it's
0: the, the White Sox fan base is so caught up on the word prospects and the potential prospects. And when you see teams, you might have one or two guys hit. When you're looking at the White Sox list, like they're thinking like seven or eight guys are going to hit, like are going to are going to click and be on the championship team. So that's the reality of it. And the part where it's concerning is. You get a guy like Oscar Colas, okay, let's say he's not going to be the everyday right fielder, but you potentially can train him for something in the future. But you're not even considering him to be the starting right fielder, where you go sign guys that are technically considered over the hill in in on paper. So what are you telling the rest of the league? Uh, Tim Anderson, for example, I think that one of the reasons that Tim Anderson had a, a hard time signing, regardless of what anybody thinks about his off the field issues, was that they're like, wait, the White Sox don't want to sign you and they don't have a shortstop? Like let's like dig a, let's dig dip deeper and I'm gonna be honest with you I don't think Tim Anderson was worth 14 million dollars but I definitely think that Tim Anderson is definitely worth more than four million dollars and I thought I think the Marlins got a bargain with him because he's worth more than that considering the fact that who the White Sox signed for the amount of money that they signed that person for to play shortstop every day so that those are messages that you're sending out to the league where you can have prospects but you still have you still have to be able to keep your prospects hot enough that you can be able to move them. And not say, well, I'm not going to play them. And everybody still think, well, these prospects are amazing. The Sox won't play them. You know, they're, they're horrible. They just don't play them because they're so good and they want to save them for us. So I think that that in the market, that the values of players value uh, and Offset calls is going through that. And I think the West Sox really need to be careful with that because when they bring guys up, um, when they talk about how they're going to perform, I think Eric uh, Crochet right now is another situation like that. Oh one day God. he's a starter, one day he's a reliever, oh, he's a starter, but he's only has 75 innings. I'm like, I wasn't the greatest person at math, but that's what, six starts? <laughs> you know, the, the math doesn't have to be there. So those are things that I think affect the market in the future. And again, makes the whole like, one of the socks is going to be a good question, uh, a, a really big question mark.
2: So clear, uh, go ahead. No, I just want to say, like, think about this for a second, guys. The Miami Marlins are a better fit for Tim Anderson because they at least have a Jake Berger in the lineup. When you put Tim Anderson next to Luisa Ryes on top of all the other athletes they got in the lineup, that's a good fit for T.A. When you're looking at our lineup, it's a wasteland. It's an OPS wasteland. There's no protection in the lineup. You can't create runs, create RBI opportunities for your sluggers unless they're hitting the ball over somebody's head at, at a certain point. You got to you gotta take a step back and look at the White Sox. Like, they're trying to create runs off of talent when we can't even create runs off of just playing smart, in-tune baseball. Like, when are we going to get back to having some foundational values to where instead of a bloop and a blast, how about we can move that, get, get them over and get them in? When this are we going to get the, back to that? This
1: is one of the things that confuses me about – like Reinsdorf's I guess reasoning for for going with Chris Getz as one of the internal hires like what development have we seen like what I, I mean outside of the trades that were made you know through through last season basically to, to to revamp this this prospect pool I mean it was trash like the minor league system was in bad shape and like what have you seen develop that comes into the major leagues and is this either a finished product or close to it we talked so long when the when the Twins were whooping the hell out of everybody else in the division about the identity that they had. They, they knew what they were looking for in a player. They developed that style through the minor leagues. And when they came to the major leagues, they were ready to play Minnesota Twins baseball. To Juan Diego's 100%. point, they don't develop anything. Like, TA is, is an example, but they drafted a raw athlete um, and developed him into who he was. But he worked his ass off to become the hitter he is. He's still an average at best defender, and I do think there's there's room for him. I don't know it's it's a great fit. I think if he was a great fit, he probably would have signed before February twenty second. But if you have a rise one and TA two, and they're both hitting three twenty, I mean, you could do a lot worse setting the table for for your boppers at three four five. But I think it's crazy to me that you know like Chris Getz was lauded for. You know, it's going to be a seamless transition, and it takes one year, one less year to to fix this, and and we don't have to rebuild. Blah blah blah. Whatever Jerry kind of figured out to say about it, but it made zero sense to me. Chris Getz has proven nothing, and until we see some of these prospects that Chris got, uh, Gonzalez is in love with all the time, like we don't know, and we 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 can't say for sure he's developed anything or that you know his track record as a um, overseeing the minor leagues like really meant anything. I just. To your point earlier, Junior, I cannot see Pedro Grifo managing this team next year. I just don't well, see a I way. Wanna,
3: I want to add real quick with what you were just talking about with Getz, because you know, in that system, yeah, we did I guess I t- I don't want to say time it right, but we did have Colson in place for to make that decision on Tim. But that that's the only position that I'm looking at that I'm like, okay, I'll give you a class. Colson's for that. not playing in the major but, leagues. Not not but, but, day, but, so. but I'm saying like like building forward you so, know so, so in the line I'm gonna, I'm going but but let me finish here cuz that's the only position cuz I'm like third base I'm like okay I you guys know me I'm big on Brian but besides those two spots I'm like we don't have enough pitching depth and this is the biggest part for me is through the past what 5 plus years we still have nothing going forward for second base and right field like I just can't believe that Ooh. we did that internal hire. You know, like you said, I'm so gonna,
0: that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna say something right here, and, and it's not gonna be popular. Gonzo just <laughs> said we ruined, we ruined Andrew Vaughn's development. Complete BS.
3: Just Damn. because he played
0: outfield, just because he played outfield does not mean that they hurt his development. Okay, playing outfield and hitting are two different things. Miguel Cabrera broke into the big leagues playing outfield. And played
1: there, and that's so not a know, fair comparison because Miguel Cabrera oh, no. is one of fifty thousand players. Okay, okay, game, okay, 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 okay. Miguel Okay, what oh, about, about Phil? Nevin. Look at Phil. No, no, Nevin. Stop,
2: stop. Exact... Again, like
1: those are those are two extreme examples extreme. of where it, and that's it didn't matter.
0: I, 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 and that's what I'm saying. This: how good are your prospects? Because if Montgomery was that good as everybody's saying that he is, and Ramos is that good as everybody's saying that he is, and then the kid, the Schultz kid is as good as everybody's saying that he is. They'd be in the big leagues right now. Why? Because they're usually not in the big leagues because there's somebody there that's way better than you and you can't break through. So if this was the 2005 White Sox and you have Paul Konerko at first place and then you have Jermaine Dye and then you have guys that are hitting 30 home runs plus a year and you can't crack the lineup just because there's no space for you and the starting rotation's got five guys that are like 15 game winners and you're like, wow, this rookie can't really make it in because there's no place for him to play there. But talking about an opportunity, if those guys were as good as they say and they're being marketed as they are, they'd be playing every day in the big leagues. There there wouldn't be a like, we need to develop him one more year. It's like, hey, man, this guy's good enough to go into the show and develop right now. So that's what I'm talking about, where we're overvaluing. guys. I'm not saying Andrew Vaughn has to be that, but I think Andrew Vaughn's developing perfectly. I just don't think that he is the the superstar the hall of fame type of player they're saying i think that he's good i think he's a good player you look at his numbers i think that we're setting expectations like we're looking at these prospects like he's going to be frank thomas and and you're going to be an everyday big big league player that's a big difference guys the problem is that
1: he's at first base he's at a a premium position for run producing for home runs for you know high ops blah 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 and he's like middle of the pack at best like he's not giving you the power like He's just average like and when you spend the number three overall pick on just average at first base, that's that's a fail. Like, I'm sorry, that's a failure. I like Andrew Vaughn. I don't mind him. I think if he's your number six or seven hitter in a really good team, you're in, you're just fine. Like he's serviceable. He can hit for better average, like if he had some better protection, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, the the covid year, I think, did screw him. I don't I don't I agree with you, Junior, to, to an extent that I don't think the outfield stuff mattered that much. Uh, I you would hope that he was still getting enough reps at first base knowing that he was ultimately going to be a first baseman long term, but it, your point is basically maybe it's not the development, it's the talent. But again, you have to blame the organization then for oh, yeah, not yeah. finding so, yeah, the right talent.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But absolutely the talent with a combination of development. I'm going to be honest with you, and we we'll go to the development part of it, I think Tim Anderson right now is just a great as a is God given talent, meaning his God given talent has gotten him to be this successful. I really don't think that they developed in the sense of like they made him better. Defensive. I think we got
2: lucky. We got lucky with TA.
0: No, no, correct, correct. Right. And I think his hard work. I, think, outdid I think,
2: what the development correct. was from mm-hmm. the organization. Correct. I agree. With so you he might
0: that. he he might go to the Marlins and he might be one of these guys that he finds and they start working with him. And obviously, he has to buy into this where they can make him into a, a gold glove defensive player. Why? Hey, because he has the given talent,
2: like the, the physical ability to be able to do that. that that's the, the reality. That's my argument all the time with T.A. Like, think about this. The White Sox could have drafted T.A. and he could have been Khalil Green, like emotionally, to where when stuff got bad, you know, he, he kind of Secludes himself. Whether when stuff get bad for TA on the field, you can tell he just puts his head down and work harder. I'm back in the cage till I got calluses on my hands. That's yeah, just, but
1: he did. So he did seclude himself in the clubhouse when things uh, were great. Yeah. We've talked about this a lot. When things were yeah. great, TA was out there. He was front and center. He was vocal in the spotlight. When things weren't so great, TA disappears. TA just yeah, want to talk to the but media. But he wasn't.
2: He wasn't away from the game of baseball. Sure. Like yeah, uh, Khalil that. Green separated him from separated himself from the game of baseball. Like, there's going to be instances, peaks and valleys. Miami is not a, a, a finished product as far as a contending baseball team. There's going to be that fork in the road on a one-year deal where T.A. T. is going to be like, what the hell did I get myself into on top you of imagine, all the turbulence that he had last year?
1: Could you imagine if the White Sox had the offseason that the Marlins just did? They did nothing. They didn't sign a human being until Tim Anderson. Uh, T.A. posted this on his Instagram earlier today. Uh, I, that's about as official as it gets. One year, five million dollars, junior. Like you said, you know, from a financial hey, aspect, Gavin Keats liked it. it. okay, good for Gavin. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty he of guys might, who have no who have no beef with Tim Anderson, and I'm sure there's guys like Asmon and Grandal who are like, mm, you know, I could do better.
0: And and I, and I hope and I hope that that Grifold does not say anything negative about TA. And again, I, I have a
1: I can't see I have Grifold a way on different.
0: That. No, no, and I have a way different view of TA because a lot of people think that his bad season was because of his marital status or issues. To me personally, I've seen guys, you know, do way worse. That's not, that's not a crime. It's something that you do with your personal level. I think that there was a lot of pressure on him from a marketing standpoint. He was made out to be, you know, this you know, this superstar that was a superstar in the making, but they made him a superstar before he got there. So I think that the Marlins move for him. I think it's a, it's a season where he can showcase He's done it before. So I think from a talent level, and this is the part where it gets interesting. Okay. Whatever people think about Tim Anderson, he was like, he was actually one of the guys in that lineup that had a history of producing and was an actual bright spot because the guys that they signed, okay, to the Chicago White Sox are not guys that have been, have done that in teams that they've been at before. They're guys that have been either at the end of their careers or guys that have been let go by other organizations because they've given up on them. Organizations that drafted them, organizations that traded for them, and they say, you know what, this guy doesn't really fit us. We're, get, we're just going to move a different direction. So we have a lot of like projects in 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 that lineup of, you know, will the could this guy be the next uh, big thing? Uh, for example, the young pitcher from uh, from the KBO league, uh, Fed Fade, you know, Fetty, was Fetty, once Fetty, a, Eric Fetty. Fetty, Fetty. Fetty Eric Fetty was once Fetty Wap. Fetty a, a, a high, high talented. Prospect to, yeah, <laughs> who was the Nationals' top prospect? Came to the big league, got shackled, literally got just destroyed in the big
1: league level. Wait, did what did who, you just say?
2: Shackled.
0: Shackle. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, I'm
2: gonna start using schlackled. that one. Yeah, yeah. Just, he got like Rami. The, yeah, uh, yeah, like, bro,
0: yeah, but but he just got you know he got hit around. He goes to the KBO league, uh, does very well. Is like the pitcher of the year, the side down of the year you know and then he comes back to him a huge deal a deal that again it's very it's really big for where he was coming to pitch from. but he's never again that's a different league so let's see how he does again in the big leagues but everyone thinks that you know you got a guy that i, I just saw today on twitter that he's they're comparing him to he's just as good as dylan Cease. and i was like wait a minute like this guy was once good we've there's trials and tribulation
1: wait who but said you didn't that? you
0: didn't, there was people on Twitter, you know, that they, they were giving. They're looking at the rotation of the ball. Those were bots. Those and the, were and the horizontal, Yeah, horizontal, vertical. The the stuff that the kids doing in the in the cage when there's not a there's no there's not a Dominican trying to take your head off with a bat. Because there's a lot of guys like that. There's a lot of guys that go into the machine. They go into the room, and and it looks like they're Where facing the going? chubby guy. No, they're they're, they're they're facing the chubby guy from Instagram. The guy who just takes uh, king of. <laughs> It, it's like they got the king of Juco swinging there. Juan Soto's not the king Uh-oh. of Juku. You talking about that, you that chunky guy that be in the
2: cage
0: all day? Well, yeah, no, he's talking
3: about the dude their... with Bauer.
0: Yeah, with Trevor. Right, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's like basically Sacco out there with a bat in me. It's like me and Sacco decided. Like, Come on, I'm not. No, I'm
2: saying like we're
0: trying to hit. No, I'm saying we're trying to hit. We're not big league hitters, so they're, they're, they're looking at guys like Speak like performance ba- based on like rotation and velocity and oh my, and this, there's this guy's like shirtless throwing a batting practice like a BP. That doesn't translate to a game. Okay. In the game, there's a Dominican who's trying to hit a ball 700 feet from you. There's fans in the stands. There's an umpire. There's energy and adrenaline. So you like that. Only the Venezuelan can
1: say that. If we said that, we get. Canceled. I can
0: say, well, we can, we can, I'm say... just saying, like, we could say, well, we could go, go. We got Paul Goldschmidt, big, big, big hockey American. Like, he, there's just, there's somebody competing against you. There's a huge, there's a Bryce Harper on the other side of that home plate trying to take you deep okay so all those numbers are great i like them but you can't say this guy's going to be just as good as this guy because the numbers on the computer when we haven't seen him compete at a big league level it's silly, up- it's silly season
1: it's silly season this yeah. is when everyone like i said i joked about it when we started everyone's in the best shape of their life everyone has you know yeah. learned a new pitch everyone has figured out how to lay off the inside fastball like blah 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 all this bullshit like I want to give Gonzo a chance. Like I I was writing this down earlier as I prepared because this offseason has been so boring. I had to figure out who the hell is on this team. So I'm looking through the roster, bro. This bullpen is going to be a bunch of 38 year olds who are trying to just get traded like in July. So like 05. So come on. There was way more. All right. We can get to that later. So in the rotation cease looks like to be, you know, he's the opening day guy. Fetty. And Kopech are probably in there, and then between Soroka, Tukey, uh, Garrett Crochet, Chris Flexen, you fi- you fill out the rotation from there. Maybe Jesse Schulten's if he has a great spring, but then you look at this bullpen: Jimmy Lambert, Tanner Banks, Dominic Leone, Jesse Chavez, Corey Knable, Brian Shaw, Tim Hill, John Brebia, and Prolander Baroa. This is mm-hmm. this is the pitching staff that the white. Those are like pretty much the names that are that are mostly going to be their opening day. Like this is the pitching staff we're trotting out this year, and those Dominicans trying to hit at seven hundred feet, might hit is six, six fifty at least off these guys. Gonzo, I'm going to give you your your floor now. What what else do you have to say about at least the roster makeup as of February
3: 22nd? Well. I was kind of hoping that we, you know, see Kopech turn a corner, but I'd actually rather see him He was the the number two
1: starter, according to you.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that's changed. Um, (laughs) But again, like, I I hope for the best for Kopech. Sure, I do too. Especially giving away away Chris Sale. Like, I I really wanted to see the most out of Mancada and Kopech. Um, But, yeah, I mean, let's just you know if he does go back to the bullpen and again I, I hope crochet for drafting him in the first round and i really thought he could be a starter i hope we can get the most out of him too but those are guys that could wind up back in the bullpen and then again besides cease i'm really interested in um, nick nastrini um pedro's the two pitchers he talked about so far when they reported were cease and nastrini um and today when I was listening to Chuck's uh episode with fan questions Dylan Cease, one of the uh things that Cease said stuck out to me was a question about how has Brian uh yeah, Brian Bannister um been, you know, helping him out when um Katz has been away. And one thing that I was really interested in in that answer and it was about his change was That Brian felt he should stick to just the stuff he already has, and he shouldn't even worry about the changeup. And that was a, I didn't agree with that just because with his mix, I want to see a different slot besides that, you know, that fastball that can change up the hitters. And that's why I was really hoping that that changeup was going to start to develop last season, Um, because it's so easy to lay off that slider, and knuckle curve that so much drastic um, drop in those pitchers. It's easier to t- tell the difference between t- between the fastball and those off-speed pitchers. But if you bring that change up into that mix, I feel like it's a whole lot different um, just battle to face cease. So when I heard that I was kind of let down because we were told that this guy is supposed to be, you know, the next guru to come in and help, you know, this whole situation. And, I mean, time will tell, but I'm not really liking what I'm hearing just off of that answer. Um, but, again, I also wanted to talk about defense, but I want you guys to talk about the pitching before I get to a defense aspect of this.
2: Well, maybe, I just want to say, maybe Dylan Cease doesn't have a really effective changeup. Like, if you look at Brian Bannister, like, when he pitched, he had a good changeup. He used a changeup, cut a curveball mix. So, if he could recognize it out of the hand if it's not working for the pitcher why would you try to keep adding it to the repertoire all that's going to do is add debris and raise his pitch count
3: yeah and like because a part of it i mean you guys had to, have to go back and listen to the soundbite but it sounded like cease was really interested to see what brian had to, what tips he can offer um from what he saw from the change up last season it sounded like Cease really wanted to go and get more advice from a different source than Katz. Um, but the fact that it seemed like from his perspective of how he answered that question was that Brian just wasn't interested in going down that route at all and just wants to stick Maybe with Brian Bannister
1: knows that so, he's probably going to be facing Dylan Cease rather than being his coach soon enough, so he doesn't want to help him develop a changeup.
0: Oh, wow. That's deep. That's deep, deep, deep. And uh talking about real quick, when you mentioned all those guys and Ozzy was critiqued during the Caribbean series because um most people don't realize that Ozzy watches every game for the White Sox because he has to and he has to cover them. So he knows the team. Very I well. would hope
1: he does. He gets paid to talk about uh, well
0: I'm just saying that he covers the team very well. Other than that, he has eight years of experience at the Major League Baseball level and he knows pens and he knows players. And he said my bullpen in this Caribbean series is better than 75% of the American League Central, and it's definitely better than the bullpen that the Chicago White Sox are taking this year's to the big leagues. And everybody was like shocked because again, no one goes in and looks at who's in that bullpen uh, paper-wise. And that's my biggest concern um, when we're looking at that number. And I think that's the reason why the number is so low at 65, because I think bullpens are the big, the biggest reason When a team is really good, okay, or really bad. It's like a team stays really close to like the sixth inning. And then that's like when you see the wheels come off. And in this pen, even compared to the pen from last year, which I didn't think they could have gotten any worse, you know, even with the loss of Liam, they go in and now you're like, wow, last year's bullpen looks way stronger on paper, at least, than this bullpen goes in. So not only do you have a manager that showed you that. He's not very good at handling a bullpen in year one, which that can improve. But then you have a bunch of guys on paper that have not historically been the greatest pitchers when they've been on their previous team. So if, unless I don't, like I don't, I, don't, I right. don't
1: agree with you there because a lot of these guys have had success at the major league level in previous seasons. They're just all old or injured, like Jesse Correct. Chavez, Corey Knebel, Brian Shaw, Brian Shaw. I don't know how his arm stayed on. He's the next Jimmy Cordero. If, if he sticks with this team with uh, Sean Camp, oh, brevia Tim Hill, Tanner Banks, like these guys are – they're going to get used a lot. And this is a bullpen Chris Getz has assembled to trade at the deadline. None of these guys are, are are long-term fits for the White Sox, despite whatever contracts that they sign. If any of them are decent, Chris Getz is flipping them at this trade deadline to try to bring in some younger talent, hopefully uh, – Yeah, that- uh, leisure is a Jordan Leisure, right? The the kid that they got last year, like you know, they're high on him in the bullpen. You're going to have some of these guys who don't fit in the rotation that that work down there. I mean, it's just it's it's a major league bullpen. If the major league bullpen was in 2019, that's what I mean. That's it's it's their older guys, so they're going to get again. Like and,
0: and the other part is you talked about this usage. So I'm I'm more worried about like health issues because when you get guys up there in their 30s you know, you start having a guy or two, like, you know, start missing from the bullpen and you have to bring another guy up from the minor league. Again, the minor league doesn't have a lot of that. There's a lot of names on there, but you know, there's, there's a lot of veteran guys. When you look at it, I think the only thing from a hindsight standpoint, I really hope that the guys that are in that bullpen, if it's going to be Eric Crochet or a lot of the younger guys that are trying to build big league careers, you have a lot of guys with a lot of knowledge in those pens. So I hope that these younger pitchers are actually gravitating to those guys like Chavez and, and learning from them on how to get ready uh, how to build a career out of the bullpen because they've done it for so long and they've been so good at it that again those are things that are not measurable that could potentially help you down the line with one of those kids but they should definitely if i was them that's the advice i would give them because again there's a lot of years in the big leagues just you know with a lot of age on
2: them so yeah i, I really look at guaranteed rate right now is castle black from game of thrones like you don't want to huh. be there it's the worst place on the planet but there are some lessons to be learned and you can carve out a role and a niche for yourself. I'm looking at guys like Jesse Chavez, Corey Knavel, uh, even Mike Soroka, a young guy in the rotation. This will not be the last stop on your journey. This will not be the last chapter in your book. How are you gonna handle it? we look at Tukey Toussaint last year and throw the numbers away due to the circumstances and the environment and habitat around them. He was still able to give us some quality innings for what you were asking. So just imagine if Mike Soroka or Corey Knebel gives us 25 plus saves, like there is some value to be had there. Now that value might not equal to wins and losses, but into Slav and OJ's point, Chris Getz is trying to, uh, he's trying to trade these arms. So if we can get, a couple of guys to get into a Matt Latos situation or look like Matt Albers for a couple months. Who knows? Maybe maybe Chris Getz could do his best Ryan Poles situation and fleece somebody. But at a certain point, uh, as much as I hate the fact that OJ and Slavko uh, are telling us that my my team is gonna be shit, this bullpen right now, I would be very surprised if if they would have a sub. 5 ERA as a collective.
1: All right, last thing on the pitching staff before we move on, Gonzo wants to talk defense. And we got a couple uh couple trades to recap that we haven't uh talked about since the last trade. It, this to me in a nutshell sums up what we're about to watch with the White Sox. Number 1, when you notice all the spring training pictures and videos and stuff that the White Sox tweet, they have to like put a little caption to put the player's name who they are to identify it to the fans because that's how many new faces and old players stuff there are one number two i live and breathe white Sox baseball i have for a long time if i'm doing this goddamn podcast it's because i care bro when they pitchers and catchers reported and they tweeted this fucking picture I swear to God. All right. So I know, obviously, Dylan sees. I know crochet because I can see the back of his jersey. I know Martine Maldonado because I can see his face. If Stassi didn't have that little name on his catcher's gear, I would have just by process of elimination guessed it was him. And then I looked at number 40 and I literally had no clue who that was. Like, I know Soroka was really good a while back for the Braves. I know he's had. Like, really good success. in the, it's, been it tough, up, it's, it's been, been tough, But it's been a long right? time. I I looked at this picture, and I'm like, this is freaking sad. This is Valentine's Day. Pitchers and catchers are reporting. Everyone's supposed to be excited. And I get these freaking guys. Dylan Cs probably won't be here come August 1. We got two backup old catchers. We got a guy coming off of multiple arm surgeries. And we got this dude who we got in a one-for-five trade for Aaron Bummer.
2: He's been hurt more Aaron than Crochet. Bummer. He's been hurt more than Crochet.
1: I mean, it's sad, guys. This is sad. This is sad. But, hey, let, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's just hope. That's that's it.
3: Um, so, so, so that's the
1: pitching. Go ahead, Gonzo.
3: I just want to wrap those trades up. Uh, Christian Mania, he was a guy that I was interested in, and I did slide into the bullpen um this year potential potentially potentially depending how spring training went um but when I saw the trade and saw that we got back Dominic uh Fletcher I was like okay like that will be our right fielder and potentially our third outfielder going forward past oh four um so at the end of the day with him I'm like you know what I'll give up a bat for the arm as far as potential goes, because the bat is going to be playing every day, not the pitcher. So I was like, okay. And I, I do agree with Junior's philosophy of trading arms. So, but for me, it, it just comes down to value at the end of the day. And I liked that deal. And I, I can see why Gets pulled the trigger with Mania. However, Gregory Santos, this was like one hell of a kid that you just, he just, out, you I you wake like him up both. in the bullpen, other than that. Well, Stop. I mean, I was annoyed because it Come sounds like on, the God. media, I forgot which beat reporter it was, came out with, but at the end of the day, that was already known with the, the staff that he has a sleep apnea or something. I forgot what it was, the issue, but regardless of that being thrown at him, that's getting overproduced in that first year. And both the stuff he had at the end of the year, I was like, all right, like, I, I'm. Excited to see what he's going to bring to this staff going forward. And this is a guy that you still had, what, five years of control on? Um, and again, for me, it comes to value. And if it was me with the Seattle deal, I would have held him to at least the deadline if I'm going to trade him away. We got good
2: We got good um, value with that trade. You,
3: you could argue that this is like I, the highest
1: his value would be. Like it, It's certainly the highest his value has ever been in his career so far.
3: Yeah, but the value that got back, I, I just... Don't understand Come it on, at bro. all. I mean, what are you going to get serious? out of Duluth? Yeah, what are you going to get out of Duluth, bro?
2: 23 and 88 last year in the minors.
3: Come on, Triple so A than- Gonzo,
2: of he's all pe- No, Coles don't piss right me off now. Gonzo, of all people right to be talking now.
1: about minor league players and, and minor league stats and prospects and blah, blah, blah. Now you're going to say, oh, he did it in triple A. It doesn't
2: matter. You're my boy, I'm, I'm, go, did
3: okay. you hear what I said? I said the age factor. If he was doing that, with, if, if he was younger, showing that potential, then I'm like, okay. What's the difference but between The fact that you're on the two, back half on, of man. your prospect career. Come on, Jay. Yeah. You can't just tell oh, me no. that oh, maybe he's not to do something Mitch like Gando, that well, here. Make me
1: bring up the Mitch Keller Gando, conversation. Gonzo.
3: But Gando, besides DeLooch, when we're talking about Brelander, what was it, Beret? Barroa. Baroa. And he had a 14% walk rate. Like, he already has control issues of himself. That was way worse than what Santos had back in the day before he figured himself out. I'm just saying I would have held on to Santos at least until the trade deadline if I am going to deal him to see if I can get better value at the trade deadline. In regards to where everyone's going to be looking for arms.
2: In, in regards to yeah. Barroa's 14% walk rate, I mean, you could fix that. Look at what Oakland did with Joe Boyle. Uh, that's something that you just got to get a volume of in and get somebody comfortable with their stuff, repeating their mechanics and stuff. Um, in regards to Deloach, what's the difference between being 22 years old with the Chicago White Sox and being 25 years old with the White Sox? They're in the same bracket financially and in the same status with the rebuild. At a certain point, I'm glad he's 25 because now I don't have to wait an extra year and a half or two to see what he's going to become. I can accelerate that process. If he's 22, I've probably got to hold on to him two years longer than I need to, to try to figure it out. Look at how long it took Steele Walker to die in minor leagues before Gondol, we traded him.
1: what do you think
3: about Corey Lee? Oh, boy. Just, uh, I just surface level. I don't know, because we barely saw him.
1: Okay, so you want to see more out of Corey Lee?
3: <laughs> no.
1: You don't? Why? I, I,
3: Why? Because so we already got prospects coming up. So. But how, how do, do you I know, if more? you've
1: barely seen him, how do you know that he's not better than the prospects who are in A-ball?
3: With what we have, I guess. Because we just have what, Stassi and Maldonado.
1: Okay, my point is Corey Lee We already know Lee what we're is, getting out of him. Deloach is one month older than Corey Lee. I certainly wouldn't say Corey Lee is a finished product. We don't know what Corey Lee is yet on the major league level. Just like we don't know what Deloach is. Like that's my only point. I'm not saying that Deloach is going to be great. I don't know if he'll and, ever and, even make the major leagues.
2: And thank God, Gonzo, he's not—he's not young like you want him to be. He's 25. So if he is just kind of mid, the White Sox can do what they want with him.
1: But the point that Gonzo is trying to make is that you don't want to get a 25-year-old who's kind of mid for a a a decent relief pitcher who's still young and under control. But again, like there is no guarantee that Gregory Santos is going to repeat what he did next year. And if you are going to lose 105 games, you don't need a closer. I think they just kind of struck while his value was high. And I think there's probably enough concerns about whatever off field or in the clubhouse. For me, for
3: me, it's not, I don't care about 24. So if I have five years of control, I still believe that, if our philosophy is we're going to be contending in two or three years, you know, depending on what gets his whiteboard is predicting, we still have him under control for that time. If we haven't traded him by then, but at least I know we can get value later on and not just force him out of here so quickly.
1: But then his value is zero. If he sucks ass. If now he's your closer and he's having a terrible season, you don't get Barroa or Deloach for him. Then you have to uh, wait until I mean, he's 25 or 26, if he gets good again, to trade him. I, it was just there's no point in having a very good reliever. And we don't know that he's a very good reliever yet. Let's see I'm if really, he can do it again. I'm
2: really glad the White Sox struck while the iron is hot. It was the same thing with the Cody Oyer situation. Yeah, it was
0: a good nope. trade. I, I think it was a good trade. I, I would agree that it was a good trade at the right time. It was probably the best move he's made so far as a general manager.
1: Uh, do you guys have any faith in Fletcher being a major league outfielder? Yes. As a fourth outfielder or a starter?
2: I think he's basically a progressive version of Adam Eaton. I don't think he's a dirt bag. I don't think he's a dirt bag of Adam Eaton. But look, Gonzo. Listen, because Slob's not going to listen to me. Maybe you could Maybe you could translate. Look, I think at a certain point, you got to get back to some foundational values of baseball. What does Dominic Fletcher do well? He's a good glove, got a good, solid approach at the plate, and a itty-bitty, tiny bit of pop. Now, I'm not saying he's going to move the needle for the White Sox, but at a certain point, there is no difference from Dominic Fletcher right now and Andrew Benintendi.
1: So no, I would isn't. agree with you. That I would much rather play uh, Fletcher for his contract and his age every single day than pay Ben Attendee $75 million to do whatever it was that he the did. The same like. thing.
2: It's the same thing. And, that's
1: and Fletcher probably gives you better defense.
2: Yeah. That's the issue that, that I have is that I, I see him
0: as a fourth outfielder, a guy that could be a third outfielder on a very good offensive team. But when you put him with Benny on the in the lineup and then Nicky Lopez and, and the young – and you know, then you're like, okay, Eli really has to produce, and then your catchers, Maldonado, that that hole really becomes a really big one. With your right fielder, has to produce. You probably so got four favorite.
2: guys in the lineup with a sub 700 OPS. Oh,
1: and my five God. other guys who I wouldn't be surprised if they were there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sad part. I love, but this I think he's a fourth. No, no, but, but but
0: but I think I think he's a I think he's a fourth outfielder. I think he's actually one of the guys that I think that fans need to keep an eye on him just because he's one of those guys that he develops well. Uh, he could be a guy that could be here in the next two to three years because of his age, because of what he could offer. Yeah, like right now, he's he JB Shuck. He's JB Shuck right now. Yeah, he's, he's one of the guys that you should be watching. With a chance to get better. If he does well, he will be here in the future. That's that's the only thing, the only way that I see it, because he does have some skill. He has, does have a, a certain skill set that they needed, um, and I think again, it's it's very ironic they brought him in because when he starts playing, if he plays well and he outshines Ben Attendee, then you have a problem where fans are gonna say, "Wait a minute, this guy's playing for nothing," and Ben is the highest paid White Sox player. That's why I, I think it's gonna be interesting because I, I don't like him wearing similar seven them. players.
1: I can't that see them surprising. trading Ben Attendee either. By the way, Who's going to want no, that no, contract?
0: Exactly, no one's going to want that contract. By the way, were you guys shocked at that, by the way? Because I was. How I don't want him wearing seven. Number seven. How
1: I can't believe they gave Tim, Timo Perez number away like that. That's a sick too.
2: You're sick too.
1: I mean, can you I, believe?
2: You're part of the problem.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just saying, though, he was the face wow. of the franchise, guys. He was changed the game. He was the face of marketing. And to give his number away right away near one. I but they've done right this before. Year. Like they,
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. this. I feel like – I don't know if I see this in other teams, but I feel like as a Sox fan because I'm so in tune with it, I feel like every time a decent player leaves or a young kid comes in, they're reusing the same number. Like Gordon Beckham. Uh, they got a pretty good number, right? Like they, they just don't give a shit who wore the previous number. There is one number that we don't see too often. And it might start with a one and end in a three. Well, that's because
0: uh, guys don't want to get hurt. Everybody who wears that <laughs> ends up getting hurt. Because El Chivo and, will get their ass. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, hey, nobody's wore 14 or
2: 35 either. No, well, I mean, never.
0: I, I, But but I, again, I think that that's actually I think the part that I'm actually looking forward to the most is how good he plays and if he outplays Ben Attendee. It's going to be very interesting how they're going to, you know, say, kind of make up for that that. Uh, that content, but again that's not really on Chris because that's the his time
1: this strikes me with Ben Attendee specifically this strikes me as a season where he could just like go off like in Ben Attendee numbers go off and it's just totally meaningless like they'll be down seven to one in the in the fifth inning and he'll have like a you know bases clearing triple or something if anybody can get on base in front or like he'll just have good numbers and it won't mean jack shit for the actual like um quality and and Wins of this team. Uh, before we get out of here, a couple things um, we want to get to. Before we get to ozzy we'll give you the the last um, hurrah down in Chichiwichi. But we got to talk about the stadium situation. Um, lot seventy eight. Maybe, maybe, maybe we won't get to seventy eight wins, but maybe we'll get to lot seventy eight and one and a half billion dollars in Jerry Reinsdorf's pockets from from the city of Chicago to build a brand new stadium on the river. Um, He threw Bridgeport under the bus a little bit. um, And And the fans. fans. Eh,
0: (laughs) Gonzo, Gonzo, so the best part was I've been arguing this for the past five years. And last year, I argued with you over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. And Jerry Reinsworth used that number of we did not hit the 3 million mark after the World Series. And I've been telling you this.
1: They didn't hit it in 05 either.
0: They didn't hit an 05 or after. So, White Sox fans, it's not that I'm blaming them, but there is a precedent on fans don't come here. And here's the part that's interesting. It could be Jerry that's asking now, or it could be Mr. Whoever. But somebody was going to ask the state of Illinois for a brand new stadium. because, Because they think that that stadium is an issue and the way that it that it that is built and where it's at. But that's that's the point that I was saying was that the fans are not innocent on this. The fans have not hit the 3 million mark ever.
1: I agree with you to an extent. It could have been a more happening neighborhood and more Wrigleyville like and more blah 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 if Jerry would have invested some of that in the neighborhood around the ballpark as opposed to building 9 million parking spots that we get tailgaters to go to and like <laughs> that is the area around the ballpark. Like there's two bars that you can go to walking distance from the ballpark. Like would it make sense to be closer to downtown? Would it be, maybe you get the average Joe fan or the non-sports fan to come to a game more often, m- most likely, but are you going to see that big of a revenue boost? I don't know for sure. There's no, there's no right answer. Like everyone, it, people turn everything political and it's like, oh, this rich it man is, but wants slav,
0: to. Slab, though, it is political because I think if Mayor Daly is not from Richport, the laws in that neighborhood might have been different. I'm going to say this honestly because I've lived it firsthand. I tried opening up a bar after the 2005 World Series in that area. I thought that with the connections that I had that I'd be able to pull something off. Um there's been a lot of people that have been tried that have tried pulling something off, like making it like an entertainment area, just because it's like the obvious of White Sox fans love drinking. There's no bars next to it. Really? Try to <laughs> and the White Sox fan and, and, and White Sox fans have tried White Sox try to do something with that, with like the, the bar that they had across the street from the stadium. But it's like a huge opportunity. And I really think that the White Sox miss their moment in 05 when I think that everybody started catching on the Wrigley Field kind of vibe where every team now has like an entertainment area. After like the 2000s, that's where everybody was like going in and like building their own entertainment area. So the only part that I give that I knocked Jerry on is that he kind of cleared his hands off of like, I had nothing to do with this. It's like, well, you guys should have been intuitive enough in the 05s to go in and like build your own entertainment area. You see this this place right here, Bomb Burgers, could have been a sponsor of one of the bars, but I can take burger
1: drinking bomb burgers, bourbon.
0: Here's the part though. You Missed guys to laugh about this because Ozzie Gian, when he saw the news, he was like, Ozzie's not the most politically, you know, uh savvy person when it comes to like actual details. So he was like, who's going to effing pay that? That said, well, it, it, it gets put into like a tax and you don't, know, you don't really see like, it doesn't like you're charged for exactly that, but it goes into the state and, you know, the, the
1: citizens pay for that.
0: And he was like, oh, I don't think that's such a great idea. <laughs> there
1: the there are certain examples of privately funded stadiums, but I don't think that there's one that exists that is like 100% privately funded. No, Even no, no, no. Uh, the Rams owner, um, Kronke, uh, when he built the new stadium SoFi in L.A., like, that was mostly privately funded. I think San Francisco 49ers' new stadium is too. People don't understand. And, and this is just common finance that people don't, don't realize when you look up somebody's net worth, that doesn't mean that they have that much money that they could just hand over and say, okay, build me a new stadium. Like, that's not how that works. Being worth $2 billion doesn't mean you can afford to spend $2 billion. If you have $400,000 in your bank account, that doesn't mean you could just go buy a house tomorrow for 400 K and then like everything's good. Um, That's not how that works. Of course, every, Owner, Like it's just common sense. And if people were rich and had their own money, they'd probably say, how can I keep my own money in my own pockets by asking politicians and taxpayers to partly fund my stadium? It's just the way the world works. I'm sorry that you're broke. And it's crazy that I'm like, it sounds like I'm defending rich people because I'm broke as shit too compared to Jerry Reinsdorf. But like, it's just common sense. Rich people stay rich by spending other people's money.
0: And it's happening in Arizona, guys. If you guys see, I don't know if you guys have been up, keeping up to date with that, but it's, it's the same situation in Arizona where the, the owner said, I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to be in Phoenix. Saying we, might, we might not move the team out of Arizona, but Phoenix might not be the city that we're in because they're battling right now a situation where they're trying to, you know, uh, uh, make a stadium and make a deal. Uh, but it's just interesting because I think that the way that I would have done it uh, to throw back the $3 million at the people was go compete be really good for a couple of certain amount of years and then say, hey, by the way, I've been good for, I've won 100 games for three years, even without winning a World Series, but I've won 100 games for three years, okay? And nobody's coming to my stadium. You guys have drawn less than 3 million people a year and now I am forced to either get a new stadium, move to another city, or have the city build me a new stadium. And that way you could look in the mirror and say, wow, we might be part of the problem. It's very hard to tell that storyline when you have not been able to do that, when you have not. And, and, the, and that number of that $100 million player contract, at this point, yeah. if I was the White Sox head of PR, I would be like, let's just sign somebody for $100 million. because it's like <laughs> they keep coming back to that. Yeah. It's a number that people kind of like everyone's done it at this point. Even the Royals
1: I, now have signed 200 Royals, some million with Bobby Witt. Correct,
0: correct. So <laughs> at this point, it looks very interesting. But I think that that stadium, um, which I still think is a great stadium, um, I just think it's just part of the nature of sports business today. I think if it wasn't Jerry... It would have been somebody, and I'm gonna be honest, man. People think that the team moving from the city of Chicago, which I don't want them to do that, regardless of what my feelings are towards the Sox personally, because I think like a city losing a team is just like the worst thing that could possibly happen to a city in general. The Sox could be realistically move to another city, okay? Because other cities want teams, and they're gonna do everything possible, and their citizens are willing to go and spend. A astronomical amount of money for them to have that new city to have a team there. So is Jerry playing the game? Absolutely. So, but, but the fact that the team can get moved, it's not like it's, Oh, it's impossible. There's two teams in the city, you know, the socks have already been on the chopping block once before in the nineties. Jerry knows the game very well. I know that he wouldn't be making a move like this unless he had talked to Rob Manfred before. Uh, if they have an owner lined up, maybe the owner's the one that's saying, hey, I'm going to make this deal. by I have a stadium in place. So it's very scary to think like, oh, this team will never move. And then you're like, wait a minute. The Sox are in Nashville, Portland, whatever other city. It's never going to be better than Chicago. And then we're going to be dealing like, oh, my God, what, we, we don't have a team anymore. And that's the part where people I don't think are being as realistic as how closely that could happen. So I, I'm open for them negotiating and kind of figuring it out. Um, in between. I even threw one out there on Twitter. Bears White Sox Stadium combined. (laughs) You know, like throw something. White Sox?
1: It didn't work in Oakland.
0: It didn't work in Oakland, but again, that was really, really well poorly built. But I'm just saying, like, I I know there's a lot of things out there, but the conversations (laughs) need
2: to happen. Wait, time out. How can you say it didn't work when both teams won a championship in the stadium? I mean, it looks like horrible now, but I'm saying it It didn't work for them back then. Yeah,
1: and, and look, they've now both left Oakland.
2: Yeah, it wasn't something that, yeah. We can like leave again. Let's just win a couple rings and leave.
1: So, J- Junior, to your point, that would be the logical thing to do. When you, when you develop a sustained winner, then you can turn around and say, well, oh, well yeah. the fans haven't showed up. Yeah. We've been winning. We've been competing, blah, blah, blah. We still can't get to this $3 million threshold, et cetera. But, obviously, I think at this point, it's, it's pretty common knowledge. The urgency for Jerry is as soon as this stadium situation is done – He's either selling or finding the next buyer or figuring out, you know, what the, the, the process is to pass along his team. He's not going to be owning this team. I don't think much longer. I don't have any concrete information, but it's all adding up from what we've heard and from what we know. As soon as the stadium situation is figured out that now makes the team much more easy to sell and much more uh, valuable to a potential buyer who has the money to do it, knowing I don't have anything to worry about. I buy this team and I can do whatever I, I want.
2: You. I get you. So did you, you're saying like, this is just another step of Jerry stepping away, a step closer of stepping yeah, away. Yeah,
1: absolutely. There's the, If none of this is happening until like five years from now, I can't remember off the top of my head when the lease is up for guaranteed rate, but like there's no urgency. Why, why all of the sudden are we having these conversations? And- when you piece together everything else that's happened over the last couple of years with Jerry and what we know about, you know, shares that he sold off or what he's yeah, trying to do with the regional sports network or blah, blah, blah. It all adds up to the stadium situation is the hanging Chad. That's the one kind of loose end that he has to figure out before he can just offload this team. And it's a, big a financial. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Exactly. How much How much space is there to build off of on that um, the South Loop, the 78 lot? Uh, I yeah. write it up here for like attraction. I didn't and know what was
0: there. I'm. I'm. I'm but again, here's it's 62 acres total. Here. Okay. So, so if you if you're going to sell your house and your house is renovations or it's a new location, I, it's easier to go and talk. Negotiation wise, I also think it might get more suitors.
3: Hey Slav, is there is the metro system going through there too? I uh, yeah. So.
1: There's a stop right on Roosevelt, right?
2: yep and there's and a you have the potential too. for
1: the water ta- uh water taxi which would be pretty dope where you can like park in the city have some beers in river north jump on a, a boat go to the ballpark like there's there's a lot that makes sense for that um spot you, specifically
2: you, oh my god can you imagine like lower whacker having a McCovey Cove type of feel to it
1: I'm trying to find the lot size for guaranteed rate. No, um, I'm serious.
2: Like people, people with kayaks out in the back, like you don't want to have like a wall too high to where people out in the water can't see the field of play, but you want it to be like, you know, like I mean, they're part of the game. This.
1: So guaranteed rate sits on 70 acres. That includes all the
2: parking. Okay. So you said he was from Venezuela. I thought it, it sounded like he's from Mars right now.
1: Junior's just—it's—it's uh, it's like twelve thirty <laughs> in Chichivichi. Ju- if, if you're just tuning in, Junior's like at a lake house in the middle of nowhere in Venezuela. No pull joke. The antenna
2: like, out of the phone.
1: Crystal clear waters. Like I gotta, I gotta pull this up. Like this, this is what this is what videos. Like this is what we're getting from the Guillen family like the gorgeous waters of Uh So the fact that he's even on this podcast, good for him. He's And this is the part where we're going to let him talk about Ozzy and the whole Caribbean series, and he just blew it. <laughs> All right, we'll give I you guys let- last thoughts on the stadium before we move on. Hopefully Junior comes back and we can wrap this baby up.
3: I know when I went to St. Louis uh, to see Ballpark Village, I was really impressed by it and was jealous and that's what I wanted to see at the guaranteed rate through the years was that kind of a setup. Um, I'd be, I mean, it sucks if they do if they move, but at the end of the day, I would love that drop back. You know, the I think that whole setup would be just change. It would change the game. There you go. There's the hashtag oh, for you. I'm um, not, I'm not gonna lie.
2: Like you, you get people get caught up with the the backdrop in PNC when the sun's going down. Like. I like walk walking the concourse at the rate when I'm at the game. Can you imagine? Because you
1: don't have to watch the game on the field.
2: <laughs> That's true. That's it. But uh, you're absolutely <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. But uh, can you imagine walking that concourse and you got the buildings, open air, like it's July night? Like that is a good opportunity to see the beauty of Chicago, and then like you could see it transform from you know, the, the, the coolness of the spring and then you get to fall and then hopefully we're in the playoffs and everybody's swinging black towels all downtown. Like, we got an opportunity to create something. Every, and then, every, not every, every 10 years. Ten. And then <laughs> not to mention,
0: be
2: Connor Bedard to, be, to be probably, what, eight, nine years in the game, probably at a Stanley Cup. He'll be a legend. Can you imagine Connor Bedard throwing out the first pitch at that stadium? Be electric. Yeah, it would be electric. It would be electric.
1: All right, Junior. Since go ahead, we we want to get to the, the, the last thoughts in the show. Junior is joining us live from Venezuela. Did you freeze again? No, I'm right here right now. Okay, well, it a couple of times. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you enough, so we'll give you the last word. Tell us about the Caribbean series. Tell us about how Ozzy, um, Ozzy got into it and uh, about two extra rings, two more rings, baby. Yeah, two more rings. Uh,
0: so Ozzy got into it. His team, the Tiburones of Aguilar, uh had a slow start of a team that uh, was built to win. Um, Ronald Cunha was on the team. Players asked for Ozzy. Um, I was reached out to uh, myself my family to, to get Ozzy back on the horse. We convinced Ozzy. We made the deal. Ozzy flew back within like 72 hours, took, took a hold of the team that was four games under 500. Got the team into the round robin, which is like a head to head, which like everyone, six teams, play like 16 games in total. He went like 12 and four, won that, uh, lost one game in the finals out of five games, won that first time in 38 years. So people were very happy um, that he was able to accomplish that goal one that he had personally for a very, very, very long time. And then he went to the Caribbean series, kind of like, hey, we're excited to be here. And, and his team was really, really good in the sense of had great pitching, um, and Ozzy still has it uh, with a great pitching staff and a great bullpen. He can work some magic, uh, put a put a very, very good uh, display of managing. Um, the best part was that Ozzy had a very good analytical team, uh, I can guarantee better than a lot of teams in the big leagues. He combined both of them, uh, very dangerous with the steals, went to hit and run. Uh, pitchers and fatigue, and, and kind of using his gut and, and, the and the and the stats. So he was even more dangerous. So he, he's probably managed his best uh, in the past two months that I've seen him in a very, very long time. He had fun again. And the players loved this. So he won both. So they got two rings. Uh, and it was very interesting because Ozzy, you know, uh, well, again, was in front of the media. And he talked about all the great players that he had and guys that were in the tournament that had not been signed yet. And he's very vocal about the situation in Latin America and young players signing and you know that he was saying that he's having fun in the game of baseball again managing and that major league baseball looked like again it's still major league baseball but he he was noticing that a lot of managers were not having a lot of fun because the game had become too many two x's and o's and you know you don't see that much like many moves again and, um, and lineups from the top to the bottom uh, but it was a great experience uh, I, it, it was very i was very grateful that he was able to get that office checklist uh, the emmy's still on the table um, he still <laughs> hasn't gotten that yet but now this one's off the checklist and you know what? It comes to it comes back to for him, uh, you know, when he didn't get the manager job, he was a little disappointed because it was like, I don't have it anymore, I'm not good enough. Uh, and again, I think that had he gotten the job, even Ozzy being a really good manager, I, I still see them losing 85, 90 plus games. Like the team just wasn't very good. Um, and it would it would have been a very bad ending for Chicago for Ozzy in Chicago. And for him to go back here, them asked for him, him to be able to come manage in a very very high-pressure situation, and do so well. There's a closing of a chapter for him. And now the goal is to, to win multiple ones. They're trying to uh, build a winning culture. It was 38 years that they had not want won a championship. So now Ozzy is known here as a curse-breaker. He broke 88 years with the Chicago White Sox. He broke 38 years with the Venezuelan League championship. And he actually broke a 15-year drought that Venezuela had in the Caribbean series, uh, which they go play every single year. So uh, Ozzy is working some curses. Yeah, and then my son, uh, also, that's a great... Send feature. me that. Hey, send me that. My, my son also, Ozzy Jr., uh, Ozzy, uh, the other Jr., he actually uh became, like, this little, like, meme because he was uh, after every game. Yeah, he was, like, a mascot, where people were saying that he was a little charm because from the moment that, that he showed up to the first game, he went on, like, on a 14-game run. And he's, life. Uh, yeah, he's, like, uh he's, he's living his life. Uh, but he's, he became like a little, a little mini celeb. But again, winning, uh, Ozzy has one thing. Uh, when Ozzy clicks with a roster, winning is in his DNA. Uh, and that's something that you can't measure with uh, in the game of baseball. But it's just like when everything clicks and the team is there, he finds a way to do it. Uh, and that's, and he built culture. And that's what this team wanted. And real, it's just funny, like we were talking about earlier about the acronym um, and somebody having an acronym and and, and, <laughs> and seeing how Ozzie approached it. Uh, again, a lot of one-on-one conversations. And, and the funny part was, you know, all the things that they said that Ozzie wasn't going to be good enough when he was with the White Sox, he's doing it now there. The oldest guy on the team, it might be 27 years old, other than the really old older veterans. He had Micah Garcia, third baseman, Kansas City Royals. Micah Rocchio, shortstop, hopefully for the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, Acuna, um, Few pitchers that are prospects as well. So a lot of young players, a lot of young guys um, in this new young game of baseball. And Ozzy was able to to uh, to get to them, to to get them to buy in. And also another Chicago big name was Carlos Zambrano was his pitching coach. It was actually Ozzy and Big Z. Um, big Z was very interesting when he would go and change the pitchers uh, and talk to them. He was very intimidating. <laughs> he definitely fixed the bullpen. Um, I think they were just more scared of him than anything. Uh, but they kept it simple, man. Play good baseball, fundamentals, uh, drive the runner in from third, move the runner running on, on, on good timing, on pitchers, and then throw strikes. And they try to keep it simple, combine with the analytics uh, and getting guys in, and, and they won. So uh, good times and definitely another another championship for the, for the trophy room. Yes.
1: It was cool yes. to follow along. It was cool to see all the, the tweets, the videos, the pictures, all the stuff that you were sending, Junior, and all the stuff from – um you know various media outlets down there uh and even major league baseball you know kind of following along especially as we got to the caribbean series i was so happy for you i was so happy for for also an adela to be around like to be able to see you know abuelo doing it Um, oh yeah that that was pretty cool man
0: i think that was the biggest part um obviously people asked some people like why were you in the dugout I was able to be the dugout because I was actually an assistant to the general manager. So when I <laughs> came in and we rebuilt the roster, so I was like, I could be there. So it wasn't like I was just there uh, just because I wanted to it was actually uh, the assistant general manager when we went to the Caribbean series as well, um, the liaison because of the visa situation. So we were able to be there. So that was a huge thing. And for my son to be, be there and his other grandson to be born in the middle of it. It was just great. It's just uh it, it's fun to enjoy the game of baseball. Again, baseball will humble you. Uh, and and I, we went back to this on, on, on how Major League Baseball is not using the Caribbean leagues as much as they should for development. Um, you know, guys like Oscar Cola shouldn't have been playing this year. Gavin Sheets should have been playing this year. And, and um, just to develop their skills and, get, and getting them there, and when you look at the list of guys that have developed um, or have been able to get big league jobs and maintain big league jobs, uh, because they play in those, in those leagues, it's huge. And, and it's a big thing, man. Or when we're talking you about pressure... When we're talking about pressure, um, we were telling Rocchio, like, if you're able to play in this series, there's 45,000 people in the new Venezuelan stadium. Everyone's screaming. Everyone's going nuts. You're going to have no pressure playing Cleveland White Sox in April. You won't because it's just the, the atmosphere is so different. This is like playoff atmosphere in the United States just during regular season games. So it's a great development, uh, a development skill-wise for the players. And, and they were able to pull it off. So for Ozzy, I think now, even when people talk about, like, well, Ozzy in the big leagues, I think now he really does not interview. I think right now for Ozzy to get, get called for a job, it's going to have to be like how much and how many years and what am I able to control and who can I bring that he won't ever interview after accomplishing this just because he's like, it, it was, we didn't know this until it happened, but it was him and Tommy Lasorda are the only two managers to ever win a league and a winner, the Caribbean series, and then win a world series. So it, it's not that common. Um, in the sense, even back in the day when it was a very normal thing to work across all three leagues. So uh, he's very happy and I'm just glad he was able to, to get that done uh, at his 60th birthday. So now the Emmy and then obviously something he can't control, which is getting his number retired, um, which would definitely be a, a, a something great to do.
1: It was, like I said, cool to watch. Uh, we're proud of you, proud of him, proud of the family. Um dude. When, when we saw – well, when I saw the video of, like, his speech to the team after they won in – like is it uh, like Guaida, right? Yeah. So that speech in the clubhouse where everyone kind of went crazy afterwards, I, I quote tweeted it right away. I was like, the Padres and the White Sox fucked up, man. All this talent. And you had this incredible manager at your fingertips. Both times you interviewed him. You had him in-house. You could have told him it's yours. And they both fucked up.
0: Sometimes things work in mysterious ways. Uh, I think that, again, I think that in the, in the game with the uniform on in the clubhouse, connecting to players, there's still no one better. Um, and I think the biggest test was he had a guy that they call him the wild horse for a reason, Jasio Pui. You know, yeah. very interesting human being, a lot of passion. When I mean passion, you know, this guy was hitting singles and trying to go to second. So how do you how do you get all that energy in and reel it in for the positive? Uh, when Ozzy came here, Jaziel was, uh, you know, still kind of like they, they were calling strikes or balls You get a little testy and, and argue with umpires. And, and, and he was able to get all that energy and, and really have them focus on, on like the positives of, hey, guys, you guys get out. Don't worry about it. Get them the next set back. Like focus the energy and good. And I, and I think that Ozzy, you know, it's funny because I think guys just market things now a little bit better and they use acronyms and they use lettering and, and they have a way better way to express it. Uh, Ozzy just does it old school style, like where he can connect with his players and and really takes them to the next level of using his veteran players, like in this case was Alcides Escobar, and then bringing him in. The crazy part, man, the the wildest part was when we were in the finals in in the Caribbean series, there was like nine Venezuelan players in the stands. Miggy, Miggy, Salvador Perez, you know, a lot of guys uh, that are currently probably going to be part of the next WBC team. For the world classic and they're all like either want to coach like miggy or they're like you need to be the manager and i think that's the biggest testament like for any skipper is when players say i you need to play you need to you need to lead us
2: you know you need to be the guy that you know makes the lineup for us right and, 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 and these these guys aren't over the hill oj these are still guys that are producing at the highest level like i know miggy's done but at at you know, it's not like he's been out of the game for five years. I mean, he's just freshly retired at a certain point when they can still look at your pops and be like, I need you to hoist me a trophy on the other side. That means a lot.
0: Correct. And winning at the end of the day for a lot of these guys, you know, you want to get paid. Um, and I think that the part where we're talking about White Sox, and this is a part that's interesting, when I talk about winning and losing, and you can lose games but still win. And... The White Sox, one of the things that's me to end this now, and this is what we're trying to change the culture of Team is where it was a culture of losing. They went from being this great, awesome team where Ozzy was a two-time MVP in the finals, and they went to five finals in, like, eight years, and it was just, like, this dynasty in the 80s. And then it just died and fizzled out and became, like, a laughing stock. And then we didn't, they didn't win for 38 years. And then bringing that back of, like, we're expected to be in the playoffs every year. We're expecting to compete. We want the young talent to develop. We want people to come to the stands, to the stadium and scream. And you're building that culture of even if you don't win the championship, you're building to win every single step of the way. And that's a mindset that for a major league franchise, when Ozzie came to the Chicago White Sox back in 04, he did not just change the big league team. He changed him and Kenny. He helped Kenny change that mentality of what are we going to do as an organization? from top to bottom. like We want to win in single A. We want to win in double A. Because when those guys are coming up, they're going to come up with a winning mentality. I don't want losers on my team. And that's something that Ozzy would owe. And he always get critiqued. Like, we trade for guys. He's like, is this guy a winner? Or is this guy a loser? And that's why guys like Egypt Brzezinski worked out well so well for him. And Jermaine Dye worked out so well because they wanted to win before anything. So I think that right now, the situation the White Sox are in, yes, you are developing players. But you have to build that culture of you're going off on losing a game if you blow a game in the eighth inning because you made two errors, even if you're going to lose 100 games. Like, that's where you build that culture. Um, and unfortunately, that's something that Rick Venturia was doing here, and I think that he was canned early enough. That mindset, of those guys like Ozzy Giants those are the type of guys that build those cultures from the beginning, and that's the type of manager he is, and that's what's going to be his legacy.
1: Uh, good stuff. Final thoughts before we get out of here? Any uh, things that we learned? Any shout-outs?
2: Uh, I just want to give a shout-out to the crew. Uh, you guys, it's been awesome talking about my favorite baseball team, the Chicago White Sox. It's been great. Um, Got to give a shout-out to my coworker, Nick. He's been feeling under the weather. He still gave the company and myself some quality hours. Uh, really admirable stuff. Appreciate you. See you tomorrow at work, Nick. But at the end of the day, I just want the White Sox to do what Nick did, get back to the blue-collar white knuckle. Mentality. So what? You're gonna look at the box score. It's gonna it's not gonna look as good. Those six to four games where you won, even though you committed two errors, that's gonna mean something in the long run. At a certain point, what's your identity? What are you gonna be built on? Are you gonna be built on a revolving door of uh, journeymen, mercenaries, sell swords? Like at a certain point, you gotta build a foundation and I hope Chris gets in the front office are starting to get back towards that because Rick Hahn was just a lawyer and he was talking to me. He Rick Hahn was just a lawyer and he was talking to me and other fans like we were just clients. So at a certain point, I'm tired of feeling stupid.
3: Gonzo? Yeah, I'm going to come back to it and that's uh, my last thought was the defense. Um, if I remember the stat right. <laughs> we only had a top 15 defense i think it was twice since they won the world series um and if that's the focus going forward that gets is recreating here putting a more emphasis on that defense then i want to see it, i want to see it throughout um i don't, i'm not going to agree with you know what what he's put through this offseason the first 6 months on the job but i'm here to watch the game and i i want to see Difference. Um, if I don't see that, then I know where he wasn't the right man for the job. Wait, Gonzo, um, quick question. a yeah.
0: quick question. Was he a part of those two defensive teams that they were in the top 15?
3: I'd to go back and look at the years again. Because the reason he has a job
0: in the Bay Leagues is because of his defense. So that's interesting if
1: he feels that way.
3: Yeah. I'm going to go back and uh, look at that one for you. That's a good point. Report back for the next episode. Uh, yes. Um, but, yeah, that's my thoughts for this episode. Shout-outs-wise, um, I got to shout-out our guy here in the chat, Juan Diego Montenegro, because he's been lighting it up all our night. Our boy. Our boy, Juan. If I wasn't getting texts from uh, Junior about the Caribbean, they were coming from Juan. So thanks, Juan, for um, the emphasis over oh, this off season. I was we glad had to Caleb
2: talking, in the you
3: know. chat, too, Gonzo. Yes. Yes, I saw our, our loyal Twins fan in the chat. Is this
1: one of your guys' buddies? You guys know him? Uh, we tweet. Oh, okay.
2: Y'all tweet. I'm a, I'm, a co- I'm a co-commissioner in his dynasty league.
1: I mean, he said under 65 wins, and I, mean, <laughs>
2: <Yeah. laughs> yeah, I think he's lying. You know? He's lying.
3: Okay. He's lying. But I was going to say, besides uh, Juan – um. I gotta give a shout out to the Gians. Um, I think junior said it best though. I'm not going to say anything else than the words that came out of his mouth because again, he said it best. Um, and I'm proud and happy for not only, you know, senior having that moment with what he's been through over the past decade, but for the fact that he got to share that moment with his family and that whole experience, especially for, Oso. um, that's a very young memories to have and I'm glad that they got to share it all together. Um, but ultimately, in the end, I'm glad we're all back. Season 2 debut went well, guys. Um, I can't wait for the remaining part of this season to come. Mm, I can wait. There's going to be a lot <laughs> of bad baseball.
1: I can Another wait. <laughs> Junior, what you got? man? I, I Season 2, I
0: hope... I'm not saying I am hope. I know we're going to be better than the White Sox in this season 2. Um,
1: the bar is low.
0: The, the, I bet, I think that um, it's going to be a very telling season for White Sox fans because fandoms are going to be tested, you know. Um, so if you are a White Sox fan, we're going to be here. We're going to tell you the truth. We're excited to be back on. Baseball's back. Um, and, yeah, again, exciting times. Uh, baseball started for us a lot quicker than we thought. But just excited to be here and, and back doing this with you guys. Um, I know we've been patiently waiting. Um, and this season is going to be an interesting one because I think there's a lot of things that we don't know what are, what's going to happen. Or, and I, I just see that as an opportunity. So, uh, looking forward to it.
1: Um, I got nothing because I hate you all. I hate this team. It's going to be miserable, uh, fast, fucking ass socks team. That's what it stands for. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, it was fun. No, it's always fun uh, chatting up with you guys. Uh, I mean, shout out to Ozzy and and the Gian family. Like you guys, you guys are just awesome, man. I, I love following along as 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 the videos and the pictures and stuff were, were pouring in. Like, I'm just so happy for you guys. Happy for the family, happy for Oni, happy, healthy family. Um, and I can't wait to see Ozzy back in Chicago so he can freeze his ass off. We can have a cigar and drink some rum. He sent me a video from the beach yesterday with coconut water and rum, and I hate that guy. I'm, I'm so jealous. jealous. I need a vacation bad.
0: I have a question. Um, so what season was it when demari yeah. Despange was uh, on the team? When,
1: mm-hmm. What year was that? Was 19, nineteen,
0: right? That's Odri yeah. de España. I'm just saying. So this year, that that's our that's our bar. Uh, it was nineteen. One, right? Are they going to be? It was nineteen.
1: Here. The White Sox went seventy-two and eighty-nine. That that year. Year. That's so That's that's
0: that's their. That's so their, Gonzo. That's their goal. We
2: have to win seventy-three games. <laughs> We have uh, to win 73 games I'm just saying, though, because,
0: yeah. I, again, that team was, like, the beginning. That was the build. That was the Artemis' spawn here. Let's okay, win 73 games.
1: All right. I'm going to go just through real quick. I, I just pulled up on Baseball Reference. their top 12 players by war. Giolito yeah. had a good year. Moncada that was his career year. TA. James McCann was an all-star, right? I think that was Ooh, that year.
2: Yep, was that it was that year.
1: Was it 19? Good yep, Lord. James 18, McCann 19, was an all-star. So he was your fourth best player. Aaron Bummer was your fifth best player by WAR, above Jose Abreu, and then Ivan Nova, and Evan Marshall, and Yomer Sanchez, and Jimmy Cordero. Holy shit, that was a bad team. That was when everyone was pumped for uh, Wellington Castillo, and right. uh, and we signed Yonder Alonso, so we could not sign. Um, the actual guy that they wanted to sign. Oh uh what's his name again? Uh uh Manuel Manchado. I think he's I think he's okay. No, no. He's
2: no. <laughs> he um but yes.
1: Yeah. If the, no, I I'm taking the under. 2024 will be a worse record than 2019. Oba. Put it put it on. Wow. I'll I'll, I'll put it on the record right now. I don't see Oba. I don't see 73 wins Oba. for this team.
0: Artemis. Oba. Just, Oba.
2: Seventy three.
1: Yeah. By the way, one of the all time names, so Aldrusamer oh, like, Despaigne. Fucking
0: but, but, oh, not, Everything I think about. Every time I think about him, I think about you. I'm just saying you've worked some hard. you you've you've, you've, you've grinded some hard seasons,
1: bro. Oh, I'm gonna text the group chat after this. I have I have it saved on my phone. One of the things, one of the most proud projects I've ever worked on. I, they put me in charge of the hype video for 2019 so this is in the middle of the rebuild this is before they got good in 2018 they went 62 and 100 and they're like yeah give me a hype video for 2019 the <laughs> baddest hype video you ever saw for 100 lost team yomer sanchez was all up in that thing it was yeah. sexy um yeah. james Mike shields Moustakis. yomer sanchez adam Engel running into the wall in center field i'm gonna text man, you guys because it's badass all right man is episode one season two the debut of the blackout show for gonzo for junior for jay i am slav thank you for watching we'll see you sometime soon spring training opens up friday cactus league let's do it let's try to win 73 games it won't happen but good (laughs) night